Welcome to AI, Government and the Future, a podcast by Corner Alliance. We explore the intersection of artificial intelligence, government and the future with your host, Alan Pence. We work with government to create results. We ignite your agency's mission by helping you to design and implement high impact and innovative federal programs in AI, broadband, cybersecurity, public safety, and more. Being a government ally is at the core of all we do. Introducing your host, Alan Pence. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today, we are very privileged to have a friend of the pod, Jeff Berkowitz, who is a fellow DCR with me. Got a company called Delve, which you can see back there behind him. I got to get one of those for me. And he is in the middle of the AI revolution in policy. So we're going to go deep on that today. I think it's going to be really cool. So welcome to the pod, Jeff. Great to have you here. Excited to be here and chat with you. So, Jeff, you guys just published... The revolution will not be computerized, a report on AI. So why don't you take us through like what brought you to that? And well, you can give us, give us like 30 seconds on Delve and then kind of get into that report. Sure. So why should you listen to me? Uh, you know, Delve is a competitive intelligence and risk advisory firm specifically built to understand political and reputational issues that companies and industries have to navigate to be able to, to operate successfully in the stakeholder economy uh, that we live in today, where more people are scrutinizing how they operate and the externalities they bring, as well as a, a more activist government that's more intertwined with industry than ever before. Okay. And so tell us how, like, uh, how did AI in this report come up? So when, when generative AI came around, really kind of brought us that inflection point where folks in both policymaking circles and the public were really starting to become much more aware of of how far machine learning and deep learning had really become uh, this new thing that was really ready for prime time in a lot of ways. All of a sudden, everyone in policymaking really looked at the fact that this is this new innovative technology and in past in innovative inflection points, the advent of the internet, the advent of mobile and social media, government has really taken a step back and let the technology mature before thinking about regulation. And the perception from a lot of people and policymakers, as well as other stakeholders, is that that meant that that was the wrong approach. And we're now fighting that last war with AI, where folks really want to bring regulatory frameworks, safety and security frameworks to bear right away. And while that can be a good thing to make sure that your folks are acting responsibly, it also comes with a lot of challenges for innovators. So we launched middle of last year delve into.ai where we're tracking the policy and stakeholder conversations for folks across all the key jurisdictions washington state capitals brussels london and beyond interesting yeah we've talked to a lot of europeans on the pod and my take is the eu ai law to paraphrase a labor mp is the longest suicide note ever written in history so i don't know what your take is on the current regulatory environment but it does feel like you know, we're seeing like a lot in Europe, uncertainty in the United States, and even got some feedback like India is pretty hands off, like they're letting it develop as well. But what are you guys saying across the world? Yeah, so Singapore as well is taking more of that traditional approach to technology innovations. But it's interesting you compare the AI Act to a suicide note. I think some of the participants in that suicide have yet to sign. One of the five key trends, you mentioned our report that we just put out, which is really looking at what are the five key trends that we're watching on AI policy in 2024. 
the EU likes to pass laws and regulations and then realize that there are terrible ideas in there and fix it. But you're seeing several member states push back because, as, as you just saw, the head of antitrust and competition for the Europeans say yesterday, they don't want the AI model choices to be American model or American model. They want to have European models as well. And there's some great companies like Mistral and Aleph that are there. And so you're seeing France, Germany, other folks push back on some of the, the ways the AI Act was written. Germany just said they'll sign on after getting some concessions. That's one of the things we're going to keep watching. But even once the AI Act is officially signed, that just starts a clock on implementation and regulation. And as you know from all your government work, there's legislation and then there's implementation. And I think there's a 6, 12, 18, 24-month window for a bunch of the different pieces of the puzzle. I think the passage of the AI Act will be the end of the beginning, not the beginning of the end. So why did you name the report The Revolution Will Not Be Computerized? Well, we like to have fun names for our reports so people will open the email. But I also, you know, I, if you recall the, you know, the, the original sort of song with the line, you know, the revolution will not be televised. You know, the whole point was that at that time, the country, America, the world was entering this age of television and that's where people got their news and information. And the argument, the contention was that there's a lot happening that you're not seeing on your television screen. And I think that that's true with this AI revolution. You know, the, the robots aren't alive, right? This is pattern recognition at scale. It doesn't actually have reasoning capabilities and to a large extent. You know, so I think a lot of the concerns about the existential risks are you know, maybe premature. And that what's really going to decide how this technology matures is how humans interact with it and how humans interact with each other in applying it in different industries, putting in the right policy frameworks and regulatory frameworks. And I do give credit to Senator Schumer and the folks in the Senate last year. They did listening sessions. They were in listening mode, you know, rather than legislating mode. And it's it was a great degree of humility in how they kind of approached Let's understand this and hear from a, a whole bunch of different stakeholders across the board with different views and get smart before we do it. It's the only issue I've ever dealt with congressional staff on where they are actually asking you to set up meetings with clients and to talk to them about what they're doing, what they're working on. Usually it's the opposite. You know, the lobbyists are begging the, the congressional staff to listen to their clients. In the report, I think the first issue you guys really identified was like 2024 is going to be the year that the regulatory onslaught begins, right? So people were, like you mentioned, nine Senate AI listening sessions, bunch of hearings, the UK summit, you did a bunch of stuff. So you think this is the year the rubber hits the road? Yeah, so we're particularly calling it the year of agency action. I think that's important, an important distinction because... As opposed to legislative. Yeah, because especially at the federal level... You're going to have a whole bunch of bills introduced and conversations start right there. Congress is going to try and shift from listening into legislating mode. But this is an election year with a very, a very closely divided and polarized Congress that and there are very, very few legislative vehicles for anything, let alone complex things like tech legislation, which has a history of not making it past the, the mark. So I think what you're really going to see is the Biden administration, you, you have the executive order in the fall, there are 150 different things that at least 23 federal agencies have to do, most of them in 2024, to address that executive order. And so you're going to see a, a lot of agencies 
Federal Trade Commission, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Commerce, you're going to see a whole bunch of different agencies taking a lot of actions. And what we're really watching for is what agency that nobody was expecting to jump into the fray jumps into the fray and do any of these agency actions get aggressive enough that it really disrupts the emerging business models in the, the AI space. And I, I'm trying to make that phrase happen. So J James Maroney is a state senator from Connecticut and happens to have in his district a town called Milford. So I jumped at the alliteration. But it, he is really Moses in, in a lot of ways. He was a, a real leader in, in a lot of the state-level privacy legislation. You know, as you know, unlike the EU, we, we do not have a federal data privacy standard in the United States. In many states, California, Virginia, Connecticut, Washington have sort of adopted their own frameworks and many work together. And they're all sort of, many of them are variations on the same theme, many of which borrow heavily from the EU framework put in, in, in sort of a Brussels effect. But now Senator Maroney is, has organized over 100 legislators from 30 states. Many of them are chamber leaders or heads of the committees of jurisdiction for technology issues to build some sort of a framework or shared understanding of, of how to approach AI regulation and legislation. And so at some point, they're going to they're gonna come down the mountain from their conversations with some sort of a framework. And I think you're seeing a lot of states introduce regulation, legislation of different aspects of AI, but that could be a massive game changer if they have, have a real framework that a bunch of states are comfortable passing some regulation of. I know you guys didn't write about this in the report. I'm just curious your opinion. We had like the internet, we had personal computers, and like I've seen articles about all these doomer books about personal computers back in the late 70s, early 80s. And like, I've just never seen an issue go this hot and like the regulation as a result come on so fast. Is AI just categorically different or is it just the environment we live in where trends trend faster and bigger that this is all coming to a head? Like, I mean, we're literally like just over a year over generative AI being like in the public consciousness. So what, what's your take on that? I think a lot of it has to do with the environment. Some of it is that baseline environment of just things move faster and there's many more, you know, in, in this digital age, more stakeholders can engage more effectively, more quickly than ever before. But specific to AI, as I as talked about a little bit before, many policymakers and legislators feel that they whiffed it in letting social media and some of these other earlier technologies go unregulated and unscrutinized for as long as they did. And the public largely agrees with them in that, and they don't want to get it wrong this time. And so instead of in the past when they erred on the side of innovation and let a thousand companies bloom, that you're seeing them take a much more uh, hands-on approach to what they think the regulatory environment should be for responsible AI. The other key difference I would say is just the scale of what's required for this technology. You have folks like the FTC, CFPB, European authorities seeing a handful of already very large companies be the main players in this space. And which has also led to the other side of the speed equation to what you you observed, which is we've never seen a, the folks developing a new technology 
seek regulatory walled gardens as quickly as we've seen happen very quickly after OpenAI came on the scene. Sam Altman is telling Congress he thinks there should be federal licenses for AI models and all these other things. And that sounds great when you're the first to market and you want to lock in that position. But there's thousands of models on Hugging Face. There's all these open source models. We want to, and and you've seen this tension, the the EU uh, AI Act. Is it more important for regulation to protect consumers and the public, or is it more important that you ensure you aren't just locking in a few large companies as the as the only ones that can can operate uh, in the space? Yeah, I mean, I do think that's the nature of this being sort of like, in a lot of ways, a sustaining innovation on top of um, the cloud, where you get these big behemoths that want to get regulatory capture going as soon as possible. It's interesting with the EU. It feels like they're like, oh, we can make money off of this instead of just extracting rents from U.S. companies. So now we don't want to regulate it quite as much, right? So that's an interesting, interesting dynamic. And, um, you know, another point to that is tech is certainly not united on this, right? So you guys said the family feud goes public in tech. And clearly you have these large groups, you know, large companies who have some interest. You have Mark Andreessen now kind of wanting to get to prevent the regulatory capture and he's backing the startup economy. So there's a lot of different players here. And so tech's not going to be speaking with one voice. Yeah, we already mentioned one of the the tension points of what closed models versus open source and what gets you the most secure and responsible uh, AI. I think you also have the existentialists who are afraid of the risk of you know, the computers taking over and, and us ending up in the Terminator world. And they are kind of looking past that and saying, we need a UN agency like the IAEA. Now, of course, I having done a lot of foreign policy and national security work in my, my background, I was like, if you're really worried about this, I don't know if the IAEA has actually done a great job of stopping proliferation. Uh, yeah, like I, I look at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, I'm like, oh, it's the way to keep nuclear energy from being uh, used in the United States. Scares the crap out of me, like very early attempts to regulate. So hopefully the feud kind of keeps enough, you know, disruption in the system that they can't come to one approach that quickly. Yeah. You've got this big feud. I think, you know, you're going to see some of those larger incumbent players versus newer startups. You're going to see open source versus closed source. You're going to see, you know, a lot of these tension points around where the liability, that's going to be another piece. The CEO of Mistral said that the liability responsibility for how things get used really should be on who's deploying it. It's like, well, but it's your model. Right. So you're going to have those tension points over that. You're going to have tension points over copyright and training data. You're, there's a lot of different tension points. You tech's not going to be uh, have a united front on this. Yeah, I, I do sense this very, you know, in some ways you can compare it to nuclear danger because really the most advanced models that are the most dangerous are going to be controlled by the largest companies, which are going to be the ones we're able to influence and control the most. So I feel like that threat is pretty low. I mean, the existential threat to me is pretty low on the hierarchy because of that reason. But I get the sense that we are going to regulate to some extent, probably hurts the innovation a lot, 
but there's just going to be these things escaping under the bottom, these small, very, like they can run on mobile models, you know, like the, you know, Lambda and its weightings and all that is already out and it's already being iterated and forked. And so it feels like to me, it's at the edges where there won't be any regulation, but that's probably the least dangerous place. Yeah, maybe, but but maybe not. You know, I think as you, you see it already with Mixtral out of that, you can put that on a, you know, year or two old laptop with, you know, not a crazy amount of RAM, like the computing demands and of some of these open source models is coming down. And as it does, you know, you can have a lot of asynchronous strengths kind of come around. And I'm less worried about like what's going to happen with the open AI models, you know, or Google's Gemini than I am like, what's somebody going to do with something they pulled off hugging face and sort of jailbroke from any of the things. So, you know, I think that's the case against the open source, you know, now I, there's a lot of ways open source is more secure and responsible and you aren't relying on one company to, to maintain it. But the question is, what are the real risks that we should be worried about versus what are policymakers concerned about? Right now, the most frequent topic of AI-related legislation that passes is election disinformation because politicians care about themselves first. Oh, and then second is think about the children. You're going to see a lot. You're seeing a lot on child safety, protecting them. Now you're going to have the, now the Swifties are going to become a, a pack and push for legislation to prevent deep fake exploitation which was already a topic that a number of states have either tackled or are tackling. Are those really the biggest risks out there versus some of the more existential things that could be done with models by rogue hackers or computers? Yeah, I mean, I, I also have like a big fear of job protection and rent seeking. That's where I see most of the regulation going right now. And just preventing the disruption, which I think would be a terrible tragedy for humanity and, and the benefits we could get. But back to your point, like I take the point that these models can run on less and less power, or be more and more powerful. But my take is the solution to AI is more AI. And the more powerful models can be directed to detect and contain those other models. And they're just going to have more GPUs and more engineering talent behind them. So I think the chances that they're able to contain most of the bad effects of the other, you know, open source jailbroken models is pretty high, is my take. And that's a supposition. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But the most powerful stuff will be controlled and regulated. So on the last part of your report, I thought it was really interesting that you thought transparency will be the hidden cudgel. So explain that to us. Yeah, I think you have a lot of stakeholders that are pushing for as much transparency in how the models work and how the companies operate, what data went into it and everything. And we've seen this with any number of industries on the ESG front, climate front, other fronts. First, they ask for your data, then they ask you to listen to their demands. And what you're going to see is even if companies aren't forthcoming or, you know, with enough disclosure, you're going to see folks going in there and trying to red team or otherwise pull apart the pieces to figure out what's beneath it to raise questions and, and further their agenda, whether it's folks who are concerned about the impact on labor, the folks that are concerned about safety and responsibilities, misinformation and disinformation online. 
there's a lot of ways to sort of take that data and then use it to make demands. And that includes, I think, policymakers who, where they aren't able to move legislation quickly enough, you'll see agencies pushing for more voluntary commitments. And the more information they can get out of companies to understand where it is, the more they can then turn around and exert pressure on those companies to try and make demands and regulation by press release. So moving on from the report, let's talk a little bit. So how is Delve, and I understand you got some other ventures going, involved in this and what kind of, so I assume you're tracking this at Delve and, and talk about some of those business initiatives. Obviously, we have Delve into .ai, which is sort of our, our forward-facing tracking of the policy and stakeholder conversation. But we're also really excited about the technology can do for our work with public affairs and government relations professionals and, and the broader need for companies to stay ahead of the risks and challenges that they face in the political policy regulatory environment, but also in the reputational environment. And I've been doing this kind of research for a long time, and I've had lots of people show me platforms they told me were going to blow me away. And I look at them and say, my intern kicks this thing's butt, right? It's just because what we do is very nuanced, it's very qualitative. It's a very sort of niche type of topic. The kinds of dots that have to be connected, you need that human reasoning and expertise and political acumen. And when AI came along, I didn't say, oh my God, this thing blows away what our research team can do. But I did say, I can teach this to be just as good as what our analysts do. You know, we have a very rigorous training program that we put our, our team members through to learn how to, to pull in the right all the right data, analyze it. And there's a huge amount that AI can do to, to help with that. And we're already seeing with some of the things we're doing, it double or triple the productivity of analysts. So we're really excited about some of it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So. For right now, you're using it mostly to enable current analysts to do their job at a higher level and do and spread their efforts over more things. I think we are a number of years, I don't know what the number is, but we're a number of years away from any meaningful AI technology that doesn't have human in the loop. So we're doing it to, to borrow Microsoft's term, we, you know, we're, we're, we view it as a co-pilot. And, and our goal over the last six to nine months has been, how do we give every single one of our analysts a AI supercharged co-pilot for their work? And so, for example, we're in the process of building out a platform where we're pulling in, just like our analyst team, our model for monitoring is very different than a lot of platforms that are out there. Because we're pulling in not just what's in news, what's in social media, what's in legislative and regulatory action, court action, all the different, these disparate data types. Most platforms are, they do your social listening and then you've got the news and then you've got that. And then you've just got these fire hoses at you. And we've then filtered that through our analyst team in the past. But now not only can the AI agents help with web scraping and pulling in data streams and then it normalizing it and categorizing and sorting it, but we're even seeing really promising, as we've been fine-tuning some models, we're even seeing some promising on the, you know, the reasoning side where it's helping sort of rank, not only is this relevant and important, but is this, um, how important is it? And doing so on something more than just a keyword basis, right? The platforms of the pre-gen AI day and age are all based on give it a bunch of keywords and it spits out things that match those keywords. And maybe it gets really smart and knows that C is a, a synonym for ocean. But that's about the level of sophistication. AI takes it to a whole different level 
And so we're really excited for what that's doing to help compress the amount of time it takes our analysts to do their jobs while maintaining that level of rigor and systematic analysis that we promise our clients. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the human in the loop, right? So you've got going from 60 to 70% of the work to 80 to 90, and it'll be a long time to get that last 10 or five or 10%, right? And then I actually think by that time, we might think about work in a different way when we're in that last 5%. And there'll be, my take is that there'll be thousands of companies that you've never even thought of that will exist at that point because of the capabilities of AI, that it will be almost seamless. I think companies like you, and, and we're, we're doing some stuff too, if you can simultaneously cut your prices to your customers and pay your people more and make more profit, you're going to crush all your competitors. And that's what AI can allow you to do over time. And then I think the other thing that it does, like back to the company thing is think about all the different applications that you've wanted to develop over the years, but had no coding ability and didn't want to go deal with some offshore team managing all that. And you don't know what you're getting yourself into. And like, I think within a year or two, you're going to be able to tell the AI to spin up applications and they become easy to create, disposable, and you can build businesses off of them in seconds. And it's, uh, that's just going to enable so many more types of needs to get met. And as Milton Friedman said, that human desires are infinite. So we will always want more stuff and now we can get more of it. So I see it as it's just going to be a huge positive and people are going to end up making more money, being much more productive and doing jobs they like a lot more. Cool. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for today. If people are interested in learning more, so you cited the AI platform that you got, is that, is that public or is that something you no, that's so that's internal right now. It's under development. It'll go into to uh, a closed beta soon. But the policy tracking, they can you know that's live. Anybody can go sign up. There's a, a free version and then a, a premium version. That's right. Delve into.ai. Okay, that's great. And then if they want to reach out in general, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? So our main website is delvedc.com, and there's contact form on there. Comes right to our team. Well, this has been great, Jeff. Thanks. I'm really excited about what you guys are doing and, and to hear more about how you're seeing AI change the business and the policy landscape. So appreciate you being on the pod today. Thanks for having me on. Always good to chat with you. AI, government, and the future is brought to you by Corner Alliance. To find out more about Corner Alliance and how we work with government to create results, visit our website at corneralliance.com and then make sure to search for AI Government Future in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Corner Alliance, thanks for listening.